morning, so if you'll turn there in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah, if you're visiting with us, we go through the books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're going through this Old Testament book of Nehemiah. It's been a powerful study. And today, as we read chapter 4, we're going to cover the first nine verses. This applies to every single one of us, what uh, Nehemiah is going through, what the people are going through, and the attacks of the enemy, because we all go through the attacks of the enemy. There's a spiritual war that has taken place that that uh, we are um, involved in because we are believers. So chapter 4, we'll begin reading at verse 1 of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Uh, you have the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, that concludes the historical books. Chapter 4, we'll begin reading at verse 1. All right, are you there? Okay, let's pray. Father, we do ask that you just bless this time in the study of, of your word. Lord, we're grateful that um, the roads have cleared up, um, that we're able to come. I know some couldn't. I know some are watching online. I thank you that we're connected through technology. And I pray that whoever um, is listening, uh, whether here or in the coffee shop online, that we would right now just open up our hearts to hear from you, to be refreshed by you. We live in an area where moisture is very important uh, for the land, uh, the rain, the snow. Uh, we thank you for the blessing of it. And I pray that you would wash us right now with the water of the word, that you would rain upon us your Holy Spirit to refresh us and renew us because we are here worshiping you we were here taking in the word, being built up and encouraged in every way. So bless this time. Help us be attentive in the next few moments. And then as we come to the communion table, that we would have just that moment of just worshiping and thanking you for the great work that Jesus has done and allowing his body to be broken and bloodshed for forgiveness of sin. So we thank you for this moment here in our time together. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we saw, if you've been with us on Sunday in our study of the book of Nehemiah, in the previous chapter, there was the building of the wall that had begun. And there's a number of people that are listed, I believe some 38 individuals in chapter 2, and groups that are mentioned, and, and where they're serving, and the different gates that were being built and hung. And all the workers involved in the building of the wall, we were reminded that all of us that are here are building something. In our individual lives, uh, our families, this church, we're building a godly inheritance, uh, a godly witness, the kingdom of God, and we're to build our lives upon the solid rock of our salvation, Jesus. Remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus said, you be the wise one that builds their life upon the solid rock. And he's the one, or she's the one, that is hearing the saying of minds and then does them. And we want to build upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ with our faith and, and abiding in him and his word. And we also saw in chapter 3, going through it, that he used all different groups of people individuals. I think about our church, everyone coming together, different backgrounds, experiences, and, and ethnic groups. We all come together, and we are one because we have a love for Jesus Christ. And we come together doing the work of the Lord. And these individuals, we know that God wants to use each and every single one of us that are here. 
as we are building perhaps a godly inheritance, as we're building a life to bless people that are linked to us in our lives, to be a witness to them, to build others up in the Lord. And then thirdly, we learn that God does know our works. He sees you. He sees you living for the Lord, raising your children in the ways of the Lord. Uh, The things that you do that nobody else notices or the world doesn't applaud it, but he will reward you for what you have done for Christ because he sees it. And now moving into chapter 4, we see the enemies of the Jews. The Jews that are rebuilding the wall are going to the enemies rise up to really come against them. We know that when God is working, I think most of us that are here this morning, we know that the enemy Satan is going to come against that work. And as long as the people at this time in Jerusalem were there for 90 years after the captivity was over, the decree by Cyrus that they come back to Jerusalem uh, for 90 years, not doing the work, anything to rebuild the wall in the streets of the holy city of Jerusalem, their enemies pretty much left them alone. But now, as as they've said, we're going to rise up and do this work. Remember chapter 2. Nehemiah said, the reason that I'm here is I'm going to rise up. We're going to do this work uh, so that we're no longer a reproach to our enemies. And they responded by saying, yes, we're going to rise up and set our hands to do this good work. Well, the next verse there in chapter 2, we see that the enemies of those in Jerusalem began to come against them, kind of laugh at them, were not happy about them desiring to do this work. And know this, when you say, I'm going to build that godly home, mom and dads, I'm going to start devotions in my own life. I'm going to grow in the word. I'm going to serve you, Lord. I, I want to glorify you with my life in every area of my life. The enemy is going to come against you. And many of you have come to realize that the Christian life is not a playground, that it really is a battleground. So in this chapter, we see the workers are also warriors. And we're going to read in chapters 4 through 6, particularly the tactic of the enemy that comes against you and me as well. We know that Ephesians chapter 6, as the Apostle Paul writes, that we're to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the scheming of the devil, uh, the fiery darts that he throws at us as he comes against us. And we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So we have this spiritual warfare that takes place, and we can put on the whole armor of God. Paul the Apostle writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 2 that we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And in the first six verses of chapter 4, the enemy here, we see one of his tactics, and that is he likes to mock. And we will see in the weeks ahead how he likes to not only mock, but he confuses, he threatens, he intimidates, he causes fear, he tries to distract, he slanders. All these things that we will see, the tactic of the enemy. And Nehemiah, as he's leading the people here, he's telling them, he's encouraging them, and he's reminding them to be steadfast, to be immovable. Even as we've talked about in our study thus far, that we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that we're to be steadfast, be immovable. We're told to be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you are building... Be prepared to start battling. If you are building and you're saying, Lord, I want you to have preeminence in my life. I want to grow in the Lord. 
I want to grow in your word. I want to please you with my life. I want to have a godly home. I want to be a godly witness. If you are building, be prepared to start badly and fighting the good fight of the Spirit. So let's begin to read chapter 4, verse 1 we read. But it so happened when Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren uh, and, and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will, com- will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. As we read this here, it's so happened that they're building, and now comes the attacks. When the enemy heard that they're rebuilding, they were furious. They're indignant, which speaks of anger, great anger, great annoyance. And they're resentful. And the very first thing that this demonic duo does, Sambalot and Tobiah, is they begin to mock. They begin to insult. They begin to ridicule. Jesus, he was mocked. We know that Dr. Luke in his gospel account in chapter 22 tells us when Jesus was bound up in a garden, he was taken before the religious council and they condemned him to death. And what they did is they put a hood over his face and, and we read that they punched him and they mocked him. They said, who, who you know, punched you? Who prophesied? Who, who struck you? When Jesus was on the cross that the religious leaders were there at the base of the cross, and they're wagging their heads. It speaks of a lot of emotion and anger, and, and they would mock him. He saved others, but he himself cannot save. If you're the son of God, you need to come down from that cross. You think about the Old Testament. All of us know about David and Goliath. And when Goliath mocked David, as David came to him uh, with a sling in his hand, David was just a, a young shepherd boy. He was a teenager. He was too young to be in the army of Israel. He came up the valley to bring food to his brothers that were in the army as Goliath for many days stomped up and down the valley and he's mocking the army of Israel and David said don't we have a cause you're going to allow this uncircumcised Philistine to mock us I'll do battle with him and he comes out there in the valley of Elah to meet the giant the champion of Goliath and when Goliath saw David come to him it says that he belittled David and and he cursed David Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And the battle is the Lord's. And of course, that was the first cruise missile that came from David's sling that hit Goliath right between the eyes and took him down. In chapter 2, as I said, we read that these guys laughed at the Jews before that work actually began. They despised them. And now it's turned to anger that the work has begun. Listen, Satan will come before his army of demons. Remember that Sambalot and Tobiah are saying this right in front of the army of Samaria. And Satan will take and he will begin to mock you. In his army of demons, he will come up with a plan to attack you, to attack your family, to attack the people that are in your life, to attack this church. Isn't it interesting in Job chapter 1 when God asked Satan, 
Have you considered my servant Job? Blameless, above reproach. Job was such a godly man. And Satan says, yes, I have considered him. And that word consider is a military term. It means to study. He, he studies us, Satan does. He considers us. Look to see how he can get, come against us. And a lot of times and oftentimes, he begins by mocking. And when he mocks, it usually means that God is working in you and working through you. And he will mock and ridicule that work that he's doing. Sambalot here, he, he begins to mock the workers. They're feeble, which means that they're weak. They're withered. You guys are miserable. They don't understand that when we are weak, we have the promise of Scripture that God is the one that makes us strong, that he uses the weak and foolish things of the world, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And Satan, who's called the accuser of the brethren, that includes the mocking that he does. He tells you and me, whispers in our ear, that you're a spiritual waste. Who do you think that you are? That you can do that work for God. That you can be used of the Lord. That, that you can do something that's pleasing for the Lord. You're not able to do that. You're miserable. You're not qualified. Whatever it might be. And I know that Satan, he has used that with me. Who are you to think that you can start a church? You know nothing about starting a church. To be a pastor, you're not qualified, you're not educated enough. And I have known those who have come out of this ministry, that have stepped forward in ministry, that there have been the mocking of the enemy and those who came around them and said, you're not qualified, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you don't have enough education, all these things. And I've come to understand something, just as many as you have, that the truth is, I am weak. That I'm not qualified in and of myself. That I am frail. But it is my God who is strong. And he's able to use me as he calls me and he gifts me and he strengthens me. And I'm thankful that my Lord uses me not because of me but in spite of me. Paul, when he was ministering to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. I love that epistle because it's more personal than any other epistle, I think. Uh, maybe 2 Timothy, but 2 Corinthians, that church that, that he had established on his second missionary journey, he was there for a year and a half. And, and the Corinthians always held Paul out at arm's length. And Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come peddling the word of God. I didn't take anything from you. I came and supported myself. He was making tents. And you guys are living epistles written in, in your hearts, the, the truth of the gospel. And you have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. I'm a spiritual father to you. And the more that I love you guys, the less I am loved by you. And you see, he was facing those of the, that came to Corinth, and they called themselves most eminent apostles and super apostles. It was Paul that said they're false apostles. They're, they're instruments of Satan. Uh, they, they're ones that are being used for darkness. They speak that which is false. And Paul, as he would hear the words of those who came against him, that his speech is contemptible. You, you Christians, don't listen to Paul. Look at him. He's wearing those sweaty tent-making clothes. Uh, he's somebody that you don't want to turn to. You need to turn to us. 
the apostles in the early church in Acts chapter 4 as they're ministering in Jerusalem and people are coming to Christ and they stood before the Sanhedrin council, the religious leaders. And the religious leader said, stop speaking the name of Jesus. You filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it was said of us here at Calvary that we filled Greeley with the doctrine of the gospel, with, with the name of Jesus Christ, Weld County, Colorado. We want to be a witness in our city as well. And they said, stop doing that. They said, no, we're not going to do that. You guys are uneducated and untrained, is what the religious council said. I expect the enemy to ridicule and how God is working and what God is working in my life, in your life, in your family, in, in this church. I expect the world to do that. They're not going to applaud us. And I believe that the Christians need to understand that because sometimes the attitude can be, I'm a Christian, I'm going to try to be as cool as possible. Listen, the world won't see you as cool, all right? Can you just get that straight? The world is not going to applaud you when you become a Christian. The world's going to come against you if you're really making a stand for Jesus Christ because we're going in two completely different directions. And we can expect the enemy, who is the prince of the power of the air, who is the God, the little g of this world, to come against you in every way. But I do want to say this. I pray it's not that, that it's not said of us, of Christians, that we come against other Christians and discouraging and just kind of mocking, putting down. Hey, where did you study? You don't talk right. You're Mr. Personality. I've heard that over the years and, and just saying, why are you saying that? You may think that you're being funny, but it's not very funny to me. And the discouragement and the criticism. And listen, more Christians quit because of that. We are to encourage others to grow and mature in their ministry without tearing them down. Even if we bring correction and rebuke or or we really have to say some things that are hard, but we can do it in a way to build them up, to help them, not to tear them down, not to mock them. So here we see that Sambalot, he mocks, uh, first of all, uh, he mocks the workers, and then second of all, the work that they're doing. Will they fortify themselves? Do they really think that they can build a wall to defend themselves? How can these feeble Jews build a wall strong enough to protect the city uh, from the army of Samaria? And the implication in what they are uh, doing and what they are saying is that what you're doing is a waste of time. The enemy is really good about that. Your work is a waste of time. It, it, it's worthless. You know, uh, it, it isn't going to do any good. The enemy will do that whisper in your ear of just, you know, uh, will they sacrifice? Will they sacrifice? You know, the idea of they're going to seek their God and really expect God to work on their behalf. And Satan, our enemy, will come along. He'll lie to us. He'll say, God isn't interested in helping you. He isn't interested in you, period. So why should you continue serving? Why should you continue to, to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. It would be a lot easier if you just give in to what the world's telling you to do or culture is pressuring you to accept. Why should you read your Bible? Why should you be faithful in, in living for the Lord and growing in the Lord? And then they 
were mocking here, will, will they complete it in a day, the accusation? In other words, they don't know what they've gotten themselves into. It, it will take too much time, and you need to just quit. You ever heard that? Maybe you're, you're ministering in some way. It, it may be to your family personally, maybe at church or some ministry. I know I've heard it. Trying to get us to quit. Uh, trying to get us to step down. It's too hard serving the Lord. It's too difficult. You're really not accomplishing anything. You won't accomplish anything for the Lord. As we forget what the, we were told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That we are to be steadfast. We're to be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I always want to remind you, and I know I'm sounding redundant, but God knows your work. And he will reward your work to the smallest of tasks if you give a cup of water to a child. And then as the enemy, Sambalot and Tobiah, continue to mock, they say, you know, are they going to receive these stones from all the rubbish stones that are burned? You'll never build anything worthwhile. Or these stones are, are you know, damaged goods. You can't receive these stones. You can't do anything with them. Peter and First Peter, as I've made reference, said that there's a temple being built today. That is the church. Coming to him, to Christ, as living stones, as he would write, rejected indeed by men. We're rejected by men, by the world. But we're chosen by God as precious. And you living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. And I can't help but think what God said through the prophet Isaiah, that out of the ashes, as they're talking about the burnt stones, out of the ashes, he makes beauty. The enemy, the world, will mock us and say, God can't use you. He can never do anything worthwhile with you because you've been burnt too much. In the past, by sin and failure, by defeat. That's what these stones here in Jerusalem at this time represented. It represented their past failure and sin and defeat as Jerusalem lay in ruins. You think you can revive these stones? And for you who think that God could never do anything worthwhile, why would he want to? Too much baggage, failure, rubbish, I've burdened so many things in my life, relationships, trust, whatever it might be. How can God revive my life? How could he make beauty out of the ashes? I think about what the Lord said to Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What the Lord said to Jeremiah before the, the captivity began, that nothing's too difficult for me, Jeremiah. And the world's going to reject you and mock you, and the enemy certainly he does. But always remember this, that as you come to Christ, and as you come to him in faith, that you've been forgiven. Second Corinthians chapter 5, that you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you are precious in his sight, and you can put your past under the blood of Jesus Christ and walk in that newness of life. Paul, he would be honest in the New Testament about how he persecuted the church. He said, I was an insolent man, a violent man. 
Uh, I was a waster of the church, he says. But forgetting those things which are behind, I move forward. I press on to the, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't let that hinder him for moving forward in the grace and the calling of God in his life. You can put it under the blood of Jesus and move forward. You can know that you are forgiven. And he will make out of the ashes something beautiful in his sight. A life that's dedicated to him. A life used by him. Living stones that are precious to him. And he wants to do a wonderful and beautiful work with us. Living stones coming together. And don't let anyone tell you that God can't do that work in your life. He wants to do that work with this church. And it doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter what others think. But we are living stones to be used today to be a light and a witness to a dark world. And remember that God wants to revive your life, your heart, and do a work of building and of beauty to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Because you might be here saying, I've been so many years, and it just seems like I haven't moved forward. I haven't grown. I've just been in this funk. I feel like the Lord never wants to use me, whatever. He wants to restore the years the locusts have eaten. Don't let the enemy rob you anymore. And let the Lord revive you as living stones to build the kingdom of God, to build a godly home, to be a godly witness. We read in verse 3, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone walls. We read verse 3 earlier. But Tobiah here, he pipes up. He's mocking. Even if they do finish the wall, it's going to fall apart. Even if a fox goes up on it, a fox is small, it's lightweight, it's going to crumble, it's going to collapse. It's not going to deter any army or us. And everyone's listening to this. And as we read this, every single one of us will have a Tobiah and Sambalot that Satan will send to us. Sometimes it's more than a Tobiah and a Sambalot. It may be many. Could be old friends, family members, co-workers, whoever it might be, that they'll bring that discouragement and negative comments. Uh, they mock the work that God is doing in your life. So knowing the, the comments that are being made, what does Nehemiah do? Is an example of what we should do. Let's, let's read in verse 4. That here, O God, for we are despised, turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. And do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. What does Nehemiah do? Does he begin to mock back? Does he argue with them? Does he say, I'm going to get off this wall, and I'm going to go down, and I'm going to tell them a thing or two? Does he post it on social media? He doesn't do any of those things, those things that we can do. I'm going to argue with them. I'm going to mock back at them. I'm going to post something derogatory on social media, complain about it. I'm going to gather a posse around me and try to get people on my side to come against that person or these people that are, are coming against me and mocking me or being a discouragement. What we are to do is we are to pray. And here Nehemiah, he trusted the Lord. He said, Lord, you fight the enemy for me. We are despised. But may their mocking backfire on them. Turn the tables that they may know that you are with us. And with that, he didn't get distracted 
with what needed to be doing, and that is building a wall. And we will see as we continue through this wonderful book that these two guys are going to be a real thorn in the side to Nehemiah and the Jews. But he kept about the tasks that God had given him to do. And he prays, Lord, you deal with them. In your own way, Lord, in your own time, you're my protector, you're my provider, you're my strength, you're my high tower. He's trusting in the Lord. In my years of ministry, whenever I felt attacked or discouraged by others, criticized, the tendency can be, and I think it's true for all of us, most of us, that we can spend so much time dealing and thinking about that that we get deterred from what the Lord would have us to do. We're no longer focused on him. We magnify the problem, the mocking, rather than magnifying the Lord. And you see, I not only learn from Nehemiah, but I think about Paul as well, how he was persecuted throughout his ministry, but he didn't stop and get distracted in what God would have him to do. And it was hard, and he would write shortly after he left Ephesus on his third missionary journey that he would say that we were pressed beyond measure. But we didn't trust in ourselves. But we trusted in God, who's the God of all comfort, able to bring comfort in any trouble. The enemy will mock you. He will mock us. And the work that God is doing in you, and we need to pray and trust God and we need to watch. As verse 6 we read, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Continuing to build the wall, they're making progress. They continue to work. They didn't let the mocking stop what they were doing. Again, if we focus just on the criticism and the mocking, then the work of God suffers. Listen, that's what Satan wants. That's his tactic. He wants you to stop. He wants you to be distracted. That's his goal. That's his tactic. Remember, they have authority from the king. Nehemiah the cupbearer got permission from the king to go back and rebuild the wall. Uh, Tobiah and Sambalot, they could not stop the work legally. They could just threaten and discourage and, and come in, uh, against them in that way. Colossians 3 tells us, having disarmed Christ's principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. We don't fight for victory. We have victory. Amen? I'm going to say that again. You and I have victory in Christ. We fight from victory, not for victory. The enemy has no authority over you. I think in some circles of Christianity, Satan's given too much credit. He will come against us, throw the fiery darts at us. He has a lot of arrows in his quivers. He will do it constantly and continually. And it begins to beat you down and wear you down. I know that. I, I can sense it. But I do know this, that he doesn't have victory over me. And I can submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us as the promise of the book of James. 
And they had a mind to work, verse 6. They're continuing to work. They got their minds on the Lord. And the Lord would say to us, don't quit. Keep going. You're in my hands. Being confident is the very thing that he has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. And you keep living godly in Christ Jesus and be the faithful servant. And that I am your protector. I am your provider. And you keep going in the things of the Lord. And he will help us. And you put on the armor of God. And know that you have victory. And here with the work being halfway done, the wall joined together. Does the enemy now stop? Does Satan stop? Does he say, you know, I think I'm going to give Calvary Chapel a break this week or this month. He doesn't. He's going to regroup. He's going to get more angry. Let's read in in verse 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height as we read for the people who had a mind to work. Then verse 7, now it happened when Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem being restored. All these people coming together against them. And the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now they're really angry. They're planning an attack. They want to confuse. So the tactic of the enemy that we're going to talk more about is not only mocking, but intimidating and causing confusion. And it reminds us in our lives that when the enemy does come against us and the world comes against us, number one, pray We need to be men and women of prayer. It's a real key to to victory in our Christian lives and standing on the promise of God, knowing that he's with us, knowing that his promises are true for us, that we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. But we need to be in prayer and giving it to the Lord. Lord, Lord, you help me. You strengthen me. And the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night, Revelation chapter 12, was overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of testimony. And when Satan begins to mock you and come against you, you know, you're not qualified, you're no good, you're a spiritual waste. It's like, you know what, I belong to Christ. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ, and here's the word of testimony. I am forgiven, and I belong to him, and I'm a new creature in Christ, and I'm going to move forward in Christ. And he wants to do marvelous work in my life, so stick it in your ear, enemy, all right? And you keep going forward and keep moving forward and looking to draw on the strength of the Lord and the joy of the Lord because he robs us of joy, doesn't he? I know he's robbed me of joy so many times. And the Lord is saying, I want you to abide in me, my word, and in my presence is fullness of joy. And then second of all, as we'll talk about this as we move on in the study, set a watch. We need to watch. Peter said, watch and be sober, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So you be watchful. Know the tactics of the enemy. Know that God is going to be faithful to you. And as we are watching, sober, vigilant, know that the enemy has been defeated. And know that you have authority from the king to keep moving forward in the work that he has for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words given to us. And Lord, um, it is a battle out there. And all of us that belong to you will have the enemy in the world come against us. 
Satan who's called the God, the little G of this world. And we can expect it, and we shouldn't be surprised by it or, Lord, just defeated by it, because we have victory in Christ. So I want to pray for all those that are here this morning that you're really feeling the attacks of the enemy. That you would know that the Lord loves you. He's going to do work in you. He's going to be faithful to you. And you set your mind on him. And Lord, I pray that you give us strength that we need to resist the the mocking of the enemy, the intimidation, the attacks that come. That we've set our minds on you and just pleasing you and moving forward, pressing on the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I just thank you that we have that. But the battle's getting more intense in the days in which we're in. Against ourselves personally, our families, against the church. But Lord, we know that we have victory in you. We have victory in you because Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins and rose again and dwells in our hearts as we belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. I also want to pray if there's anyone that's listening or you're here that you've never made a commitment to Christ, listen, he is your salvation. Jesus loved you so much that he went to a cross and died for you. And salvation is not found through you. You'll never be good enough. Jesus came and died for sinners, which is all of us. There's a sin problem. So he came to free us from sin and the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin, by going to a cross and dying for you. And then he cried out, it is finished. And he was put into a grave and he rose again. He conquered sin and death. He's the only one that conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. He is real. He is true. He's the Son of God. And the invitation is for you to come. To come in faith and say, I am a sinner in need of you, Jesus. I give my life to you. You can do that right now. Because today is the day of salvation. And right where you're sitting, you can say, Jesus, I come to you a sinner. I turn to you. And I confess that I have fallen short, that I have sinned, but I believe that you died for my sins on that cross. You were put into a grave and you rose again. And I ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. I believe in what you've done and who you are. And I thank you for forgiving me as I ask you to sit upon the throne of my life. Yield it to you as Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you in this newness of life. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And as we now come to take of communion, the elements in front of us as we start to prepare to take a communion, listen, if there's anything, anything that the Lord is dealing with you, this is not just a religious routine we're remembering what Jesus did for us and going to the cross in this new covenant we belong to get right with the Lord confess it 
as we hold the elements, he paid a great, great price that we can never fully understand in coming to this world and dying for us, allowing his body to be broken in bloodshed for forgiveness of sin. Just tell the Lord. He's so forgiving. And then we'll prepare to take of the elements as we remember what he did for us. In Jesus' name.